Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Escuchas ese rugido Sientes la experiencia de poder La emoción de la libertad Ya estás preparado Para vivir tu nueva aventura Nueva Ram 1500 Hecha para vivir Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC
Good evening and welcome to Joy 99.7 FM and to the big conversation on Springboard, your virtual university. My name is Albert Okran. I'm doing this with the support of the virtual academic board comprising Comfort, Matthew, Priscilla, Imus, Jojo and Papayao. Tonight, on behalf of the academic board, I matriculate you into a week filled with excellence in every single area of your life leadership business career finance talent relationships education and very importantly your health and emotional well-being and the church said a big amen all right tonight we have the pleasure and the honor of hosting a man respected for his contribution in the field of education not just here in ghana but across the world good friend good brother and he'll be sharing some thoughts about education, especially as we navigate this very disruptive season of our lives, not just as a nation, but all across the globe. Springboard is brought to you by Legacy and Legacy and your superstition join 99.7 FM. The broadcast is made possible by the kind courtesy of some of Ghana's finest brands. A big good evening to our friends at MTN, MTN Pulse, Just Be, the Enterprise Group, Enterprise, Your Advantage, UMB Bank, UMB Speed Up, Diggy Bank, Let's Go, and the Access Pension Trust, your reliable partner in pensions. Let's say a good evening also to our friends at the Graphic Business for supporting this. And look out for the Graphic Business and check out page 18 on Tuesday for a full transcript of tonight's big conversation. Let me say a big thank you to you all out there for joining us tonight and remind you that in this week, our core program subject is personal finance tips to be delivered by Charles Mensah. Look out for it on the core program Facebook page, uh, core program, and then also on the website core.com.gh. You will need this presentation this week because personal financial tips are very critical for every single one of us. So tonight, Patrick Iwa is my guest. Last time we spoke, hmm, Patrick, good evening and welcome to the big conversation. All right, I'm going to get Patrick on very, very shortly. Ah, Patrick, right. Good to, good to have you. I'm well, and how are you? Patrick, I'm doing very, very well. I'm tempted to ask my very first question. Where, which part of the world are you in? <laughs> <laughs> I'm currently in Accra. I'm at home. Well, good to have you back home. But the last time we spoke, Patrick, you were headed out there on a global tour on on was it um, sabbatical? Yes, I was heading out on sabbatical. I was about to leave for Japan. Did you ever go? Yes, I did. I went to Japan in January. Uh, so I was in Japan January and, and February, part of February. Before we settle down to your to your subject, the subject of our discussion tonight, give me an idea about how this the COVID nineteen broke in Japan from from where you were. Well, so I was in Okinawa, which is an island uh, south of J- Japan, um, and I was uh, practicing karate, uh, spending all my days doing that. Um, and but of course, as I was heading into Japan, the COVID crisis broke in China. And so this was on the news every day uh, in Japan when I was there. And um, from my hotel room, I had a great view of the port uh, in Okinawa. And this port, a bunch of cruise ships came in and out. And one of the cruise ships that came into the port was the Princess Diamond. Um, and I could see this ship from my hotel room. I actually went out of the hotel, walked to the port. I took a picture of the Princess Diamond. Um, and a few days later, you know, when it had left uh, Okinawa and gone to Yokohama, then there was a news that uh, there was COVID-19, uh, there was a COVID-19 outbreak on the uh, Princess Diamond. So, um, so I was in Okinawa. We knew that a ship had docked there for a while which had uh, COVID-19 cases. Um, but things were pretty calm in Okinawa. You know, people were wearing masks in my hotel. All the staff were wearing masks. Um, and um, the only thing that, I mean, the only disruption for me was I cut short my visit by a week. I was supposed to be there for four weeks, and I ended up leaving um, after week three and returning to Accra. 
because by week three, uh, it was clear that this uh, this was becoming a pandemic. It was going global. And, um, you know, I was concerned that, um, you know, it might, the cases in Japan might grow, but also that it might disrupt uh, air travel. And so I needed to get home before all that disruption happened. So we'll postpone the sabbatical to another year, I, sus- I suspect. <laughs> no, I actually uh, came to Accra and I spent my sabbatical in Accra um, uh, at home. It was a different kind of sabbatical than I had planned. I, w- I didn't do as much travel. I didn't do any travel beyond Japan. Uh, but it was still restful. And um, other than, you know, when, it, when COVID-19 entered Ghana and we were having to make decisions about what to do about our campus and planning the, uh, to move online. When I went to campus for a day to huddle with the team and figure out what we should do. Other than that, I pretty much stayed away from work and I let my team run the university. Welcome back. Welcome back to the real world where things happen. Patrick, you are president of Ashesi University. Patrick, so tonight we want to have a big conversation about education, a subject that I know you are very passionate about, and there's so many issues we'd like to explore, but let's give you the chance to speak to the issue of leadership in uncertain times from the perspective of education. And let's have your preliminary thoughts for 10 minutes after which we will explore issues about school closures, digital learning, parents' concerns, stakeholder concerns, governmental action, comparison of global, so much you want to explore and then we want to hear from parents. Are they concerned? What are their issues? Stakeholders. So let's have a good conversation tonight. Patrick, starting with your preliminary thoughts on the subject of leadership in uncertain times in the area of education. Patrick, take it away. Okay, so um, so thanks. First of all, thanks for inviting me to the show to talk about this this issue, and I would just like to start the conversation with just a few remarks. Um, I don't know if I'm going to take the full ten minutes, but I think that when let me just explain how I think about crises and how to deal with them in any organization, educational or otherwise. I think that you you deal with crises by first planning for them, right? So you don't think about crises when you're, when you're in the middle of them. That's not really where it starts. It starts before a crisis hits. And so, you know, in the world of business, in the world of education, in, in, in whatever enterprise that you're working in, you're going to have some good luck days and you're going to have some bad luck days. And... What you need to do when you're experiencing good luck days, when things are going well, you need to be anticipating how you deal with um, the time when things are not going well. So for us at Ashesi, uh, this took the form of developing a risk scorecard for our organization. And this is just sort of part of our standard management practice at the university is that we have a scorecard where we try to think and anticipate all the different risks that might confront our organization. Um, And then we sort of rank the lists according to, first of all, for each risk, we figure out or we try to make a determination of what is the likelihood that this negative event will occur. And if the negative event occurs, what will be the impact to our organization? Will it be a mild impact, a moderate impact, or a severe impact? And then based on the combination of the probability of this event occurring and the impact on the organization, we we rate all our risks that we've identified green, yellow, or red. Red is dangerous, very high risk, uh, very uh, dangerous situation then there's moderate, and then there's green is we're okay, it's mitigated. Anything that is, that is marked as moderate or severe, we then spend management time thinking about how to mitigate that risk. In other words, how to prevent um, the event from occurring if it's within our power, or if it's not within our power to prevent the event from occurring, how do we 
prepare so that after the event has occurred, we will still be in a in a place to sort of navigate it or or deal with it, right? And it turns out that on our risk scorecard, one of the things that was on there um, is you know the risk of severe economic shock to Ghana, right? So if something went wrong in Ghana's economy and we we experience a severe sort of external shock, not to do with us. It, it might be something happened in uh, the oil markets or cocoa or gold, or there's some other severe event that has happened in the country. There's political unrest or something. And we suffer this exter- externality. How do we deal with it? And um, for... for for us, the way to deal with, with such an event was to build up cash reserves. So we needed to, so we knew that we needed to start to build up buffers uh, of resources that would help us carry through if a negative event of this nature happened. And there's some other risks that, that, that we had on, on the scorecard. And uh, I've got to say that if you look at our risk scorecard, most things after mitigation steps had been taken um, were green. Um, and the, the danger of an economic shock in uh, Ghana was a one event that we still categorized as red because we hadn't yet built enough um, reserves to, to suffer something like that. Um, but we were building reserves. Now, nobody had on their risk, well, we didn't have on our risk uh, scorecard um, a global pandemic, but we did have, you know, the risk, because of Ebola, we had the risk of if there's some kind of pathogen that enters the country that disrupts us, what do we do? And so that's all actions that were taken on the health side. We have an emergency isolation center. We have PPEs and a bunch of things like that that we had in stock to mitigate all of that. Um, So when this hit, we then sort of went into a mode of, okay, this is more severe than anything we have considered. And we could see that there were shutdowns happening around the world, like whole economies, like major economies in the world were locking down. We saw that China had, I think at some point had, restricted the movement of 850 million people. We looked at the events that had happened on the cruise ships uh, that had been affected by this crisis and what was happening on those ships. And we considered that, you know, a university environment is similar to a cruise ship, right? In, in the sense that people are in close, close proximity to each other, they're moving around, you don't know who's been in touch with who and that sort of thing. Uh, so... So as we were dealing with this crisis, we decided that the way to deal with it was to, first of all, minimize impact to organizations. So before Ghana closed its ports, um, uh, we had already restricted travel for our staff. Um, We had also canceled um, all meetings that had to do with people who were traveling to Ghana. And we had started to sort of take steps in preparing up our health response in the event that this this entered Ghana. Uh, But ultimately, we decided that um, we needed to really move online. And so um, it it happens that this occurred while we were on midterm break or students were going on midterm break. And so we suspended classes. We said everyone stay home. And we took a day for all the team to assemble and... uh, and plan what we were going to do, and then decided a couple of things. One was we were going to move online. We were going to get all students home to the extent that we could, including our international students, so we would arrange transport. For those international students who we couldn't get out of country before ports closed, we would arrange homestays in Ghana. Um, And we gave ourselves two weeks to do all of that and also to give uh, online training uh, to our faculty. So faculty were already already using online resources, but we needed to sort of deepen the pedagogical part of it. And so we took time to do all of that. And then two weeks later, we came back online 
everybody was off campus and uh, things went smoothly. So that was one decision. The second decision was uh, we decided that we had a responsibility to our to our people to maintain their livelihoods. So we're going to continue to pay salaries, including the salaries of people whose jobs were really dependent on campus, right? So if you think about cleaners and gardeners, cafeteria staff, security. Uh, once we move off campus, the cafeterias are shut down. Um, but we decided that we were going to use our cash reserves to protect those jobs so we would continue to pay those salaries. Uh, and um, and we also, we'd already done all the business modeling about, you know, meeting the obligations to our creditors, meeting obligations to staff, uh, keeping online systems running. And we, we also spent money in enhancing the online systems that we already had in place. So we decided to, you know, go full out on online, making that as great an experience as possible um, and finish the semester that way. So this is how we dealt with it. But, you know, as I say, part of the reason we were able to deal with this is because we had done all this um, planning in, in, you know, earlier, years before, and we actually had some reserves that we could deploy to, you know, beefing up our online systems, maintaining livelihoods of people who work there, meeting our, our debt payment obligations and all of that. Uh, and so I think that the lesson for, I think, for any organization, not just ed- educational organizations, is it is very important to always plan ahead. Now, I'll end with, okay, so now we're here. We're, we're in a difficult situation. There's uncertainty. Um, we know that scientists around the world are working very quickly to try, very hard to try and get a vaccine out. Um, and there's improvements in treatments and so on that's going on. But there's uncertainty about when schools will be able to reopen fully, um, what the trajectory of COVID-19 in Ghana is going to be. I mean, it's, it's looking good right now, but we're not out of the woods. Nobody's out of the woods yet. Um, what do you do? Um, my first advice is stay calm, right? You, you've got you've to stay calm. You have to um, really get in a mode of short-term planning. What can you do? What can't you do? Uh, don't fret too much. Understand that this, this will pass. And the job, the, the job that you need to, to, your number one job is health and safety of the people who are at your organization, students, faculty, staff. And number two, you want to maintain the financial health of your organization to the extent that you can. Um, in other words, you just want to survive. So you should be in a mode of thinking, how do we, how do we weather the storm? And once the storm is passed, we can, you can build back up uh, to where you used to be. So those are my opening comments for the conversation. Thank you very much, Patrick. And there's so much that we would like to explore, but thanks for sharing the Shesha story and how you uh, mitigated or anticipated potential b- b- banana skins. I-, I like the part about planning for a crisis ahead of schedule and the fact that you modeled all the possible scenarios but never planned for a global pandemic i'm also i'm also fascinated by the red gold green the 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 red being high risk yellow being moderate and then green being mitigated if i'm not wrong let's go to this unesco report that is staring at me right in the face i have two reports one from the unesco and one from the world bank and the unesco report gauges that as at the 6th of may 2021 77 countries had closed schools nationwide the impact being on 1.2 billion learners he says that in ghana the closure of schools affected 9.2 million basic school students and half a million tertiary school students doctor well, how big how big a disruption beyond ashesi beyond ashesi how big a disruption is COVID-19. Have you ever seen anything so disrupt the delivery of education in our country? Well, I would say that in my lifetime, I haven't seen anything that has disrupted education to this extent 
and for and for this long. We have had disruptions when we were when we had you know coup d'etats that were occurring. So during the changes of government, you, we would have sort of disruptions that disrupted the whole economy. Uh, businesses and schools would be shut down for a while and reopen. And we've had a situation where the universities would be closed for extended periods of time because of student unrest. And some of those would last for months. Um, I, you know, when I was about 18 years old or so, and I was getting ready to um, exit high school, there was a one-year waiting period just to get into university. So we had, we had to do two years of national service, one year before you go to university and one year after university. And that was because of the, the shocks that had occurred during political upheavals. But we haven't seen, I haven't seen anything that has disrupted the entire educational system from kindergarten through uh, higher education and for this long. And I don't, um, you know, I don't think the world has seen this either for, uh, for the last hundred years. I was, I was going to allude to that, that one year disruption and the impact it had even on my choice of school or my choice of tertiary. It, it has some bearing on how I ended up being in Legon, but it's a long story. I won't, I won't say it today, but Patrick, most institutions have re- responded with one form of digital solution or another. This report I'm reading says only 22% of households in Ghana have access to the internet and only 15% have access to a computer. How well has the digital, have the digital solutions that have been rolled out met the needs of the people, your constituency that you seek to serve at a primary level, secondary and tertiary level? Well, I don't know what's happening at the uh, primary and secondary level. I don't think there's much going on outside of the private schools, right? So the public schools, I don't think, are online at all. Um, I know that there's some private schools that moved online to online solutions, completed their terms online, did graduations online, and so on. And the same is true at the university level. You know, at the primary school level, say kindergarten level, you know, doing a class on a computer uh, uh, with little kids is very difficult, right? Um, and so I think that the younger kids are, the harder it is to do purely online learning. Um, but as you get to a certain level, um, you can do effective online learning. And at the tertiary level, um, a lot of universities have been able to successfully move online. They've conducted their classes online. Uh, many of them have also been able to do their exams online and completed their, their semesters. There are few that weren't able to do exams or assessments online and had to have the, their students come to campus for uh, to conclude. But, um, you know, the, the digital divide, you know, let me just say that. And again, I just like to share from our experience what it really means, right? So, You'll have students, let's say even if the school has access to technology and teachers are all set up with technology and can deliver content online, you have to worry about students who may not have access to technology at home. They may not not have access to a laptop. Um, They may have a phone and can get online on a phone, but taking a class on a phone is difficult. You can't see, present, you know, the screen is too small. You can't see presentations so well and, and all of that. Um, they have to deal with the issue of access to data and the cost of getting uh, data uh, on your device. They have to deal with issues around the environment that they're operating in. So if you're in a household with many rooms and you can go into one room and close the door and do a class online, that works. But if you're sharing a room with other people, it's difficult to concentrate on an online course if there's many people around you at the time you're trying to take this course. Um, so you, you, you sort of have to worry about, you know, what is the environment that students are operating from? And then you have some students who are, you know, up, you know they're living in families who have been affected economically by the crisis and 
So certain basic things are, have become problematic. Even just um, having sufficient money for food to feed themselves and so on to pay the rent um, is a problem. And and all of that ends up disrupting the child's ability to get online to to work online and be focused working online. Um, and so it is it is a fairly big problem. And the, the root of it, um, I think that if you're trying to really answer the question about the digital divide, you can't, you can't do that um, without also thinking about the economy broadly. So what we need is economic development. We need infrastructure to be built. We need infrastructure to be, um, we need infrastructure to be accessible to, for people to be able to get to infrastructure in schools, at home, and so on, and at an affordable rate. And so you need a policy environment that enables that, whether it is the government subsidizing uh, infrastructure to some areas um, or, you know, helping to set up, a, you know, a competitive landscape where prices are falling, where it is relatively inexpensive to bring in technology into the country, um, and to use that technology affordably. It's the exact midpoint of the show, 30 minutes past the hour of seven. If you just joined us, this is Springboard of Virtual University. Talking about education, my guest, Patrick Ewa, president of Ashesi University, giving us the footprints of the response to COVID-19, first from the Ashesi perspective, and then a few tips for any educational or business institution trying to navigate an unforeseen situation, a few tips that you could use. But very importantly, we are looking also at the response of many institutions to the challenge that was faced and and the resource constraints that make it almost impossible for some to participate. When I come back from this break, we're going to be looking at the issue of fees. Some say, listen, how do you deliver half the product for the full cost. Some are asking if the parents are being the teachers and they are using their computers, how do you charge them full school fees? Some are saying, listen, the children, they are sleeping and they are playing football and you are charging us. When we come back, we'll find out Dr. Uwe's thoughts about that one. We'll also find out on the game changer about mentoring. It's going to be a very, very interesting second part of this show, but Springboard is brought to you by a collection of strong partners MTN, MTN Pulse, Just B, the Enterprise Group, Enterprise Your Advantage, UMB Bank, UMB Speed Up, Diggy Bank, Let's Go, and the Access Pension Trust, your reliable partner in pensions. Let's go for a brief break. When we come back, let's explore that one. And then a huge statistic from the World Bank about the impact of this pandemic on the students for the rest of their lives. It's huge. Please don't go away. When you don't have the Enterprise Advantage app, you're not in control. Boss. Yes, Akwesi. I'm at where they sell the coats. What size do you like? Ah, what coat? Coat, coat, office coat. Ah, I said get me a coat. Quotation from Enterprise. Ah, you pan. Oh, what coat? Save yourself from stress. Take advantage of the Enterprise Advantage app. Make your claims, check statements, request for a coat, and buy a policy from any of our subsidiaries. What's more, you can also get health tips, traffic information, find mechanic shops, and more on your Enterprise Advantage app. Download the Enterprise Advantage app on Google Play and Apple Store now. Here is to 95 years of trust. Enterprise, your advantage. So everyone says I'm a Kosia filler, but it's not like I'm nosy. Or go out to find out the latest filler. It's just that I get 50 megabytes of data free after paying for only the first minute of every call. And so I just keep discovering stuff minute after minute. That's how come I was minding my business, scrolling through my timeline, and I found out Coco has a new baby. Oh, and last week, I learned Ken won the lottery. You see, Ken is my brother's friend. So, hello. 
Look who's about to roll with the rich and famous. <laughs> Enjoy even more value with MTN Free After One. You only pay for the first minute of your call on MTN Free After One. And the rest is free. Plus, you enjoy free 50 megabytes worth of data to browse your favorite sites. Open where? Open there. So dial star 315 to sign up. We pay for you everywhere you go. Terms and conditions apply. was established in 1972 as the premier bank for the corporate and private sector in Ghana. From our very beginning, as the only Ghanaian bank serving all categories of businesses, we set a standard for excellence and innovation over the past 45 years. We've built a financially healthy and strong bank, demonstrated our commitment to our customers and to growing businesses, and exhibited originality and innovation at every turn. At UMB, our focus is built around people, service, products and technology. These are the key to our present success and our future triumphs. At UMB, we're poised to make a difference not only with our customers, but also in the banking industry. We invite you to share in our future. Our future starts now with you. It's 26 minutes to the hour of 8 o'clock. This is Springboard of Virtual University. This is our... In these uncertain times, we have discovered that most workers do not have any financial fallback for emergencies. That should not be our story. If you're looking to improve your financial situation or you simply need more information to make the right financial decisions, then look no further. Join the Access Smart Money Talk, a weekly interactive session Hosted by Access Pension Trust. On Smart Money Talk, we feature industry experts to cover various personal finance topics, as well as everyday Ghanaians to share their personal finance story. Join us each and every Wednesday at 4 p.m. on Facebook Live to be empowered to achieve financial peace of mind. Access Pension Trust, a reliable partner in pensions. And Springboard is a virtual university. It's 25 minutes to the hour of 8 o'clock. You're having a conversation about education. And just when we went on the break, I had a number of parents calling. Dr. Uachale, their questions are from prime, from, from primary to secondary to tertiary to postgrad. They want you to answer the question. And the first one is about school fees. It seems to be the big one for many people. I guess that um, one of the parents called me and said, ask him, is it fair for a three-year-old child to be told, to be forced, not told, forced to do online and to pay full school fees. Patrick, it seems to be the case that parents do not feel properly served. There seems to be a one-way conversation or a one a monologue. You are told, take it or leave it. And in a particular parent's case, uh, she was told, if you don't let your child participate in the online, when the child is coming back, you have to go through the entrance exams again, do the assessment again, everything afresh, as if the child is applying to the school afresh. There are issues. How do we chart our way forward in a situation like this? Because there's increasing mistrust between parents and educational service providers. Okay, so look, I think that the example you gave where a school is saying if your kid doesn't do the online course, they have to, uh, they have to reapply to the school, that seems, a li- that seems unreasonable to me. Um, you know, at, 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 at worst, you know, what they should say is if your kid doesn't continue online, they, will, they may have to start behind, you know, their colleagues who have continued online and have learned more um, over, the, over the period of time, uh, which would just be factual, right? It would just be, okay, we did online classes for, the, for three months and your son or daughter didn't participate, others did, so your, your son or daughter has fallen behind those, those other children. Um, and so they'll have to start behind them. But I, I don't think it's, it's fair to say they have to reapply to come to the institution. Now, on the question of fees, you know, I think that if you look at most schools, you know, a huge part of their budget is salaries for the staff. So salaries for the teachers and the administrators uh, who run the school and who teach kids. Um, If a teacher is teaching online, 
it is often actually more difficult work, frankly. Uh, you know, you have to prepare a completely different set of material. You have to present it differently. So teachers are definitely working hard, those that are doing online. And it is very difficult for an administrator to go to those teachers and say, because the courses are online, we're going to pay you less, right? So you've got to think that the first thing is, where is the value coming from? Um, and you have to meet your obligations to those people who are bringing you that value. The second thing to consider is that, you know, for a university or a boarding school, one thing that is very clear that you're not, uh, you know, using is dormitories, right? You're at home doing online, so you're not in university housing or school housing. You're not, you know, eating at school. So you should not be charged for those fees. And I believe that most schools, if not all of them, have discounted those those fees to, to zero, right? Because they're not providing that value to you, and it's very difficult to justify charging somebody for something they're not using. The third thing to think about is, you know, some institutions are holding debt, right? So they may have taken on a loan to build uh, a school building um, and, you know, that they're using uh, for classes. Whether you're actually holding classes in that, in that building that you funded with debt or not, you're still having to pay the bank the interest on that on that facility. And so there are some institutions that, frankly, are in a situation where they have a fixed commitment um, that they're having to meet um, and that they can only meet through tuition fees or by drawing down on other financial buffers that they, they have they've put in place. And then there are actual real savings from, from being online like you're not spending as much on fuel, you're not spending as much on maintaining buildings, you're not spending as much on electricity and water in those buildings, those kinds of variable costs. Those are savings to the, to the institution that, you know, ideally you pass on uh, to the customer. Um, and then there's additional expenses that you didn't used to have that you're, not, that you're now doing. So if you're sort of improving your online systems, you are signing up for more bandwidth um, on servers that you use. Uh, you're, you're signing on to new learning management systems and those, sort of those cost more. Uh, Dr. Well, let, me, our, let me, let me, let me, so, let me. So you sort of have to do this balance of all of that and then come up with what is a fair price uh, for families. I'm going to get a couple of parents to see wh- wh- where their perspectives are. But one thing, one thing that I would like to quickly um, speak to, you mentioned that definitely all, most, and you said all institutions have zero rated that expense. It would not be the case in, real, in reality. There are institutions that are asking their students to pay full, even though they are home, including what they were paying if they were in boarding school. Uh, but that, that's another conversation that we would have. And then also, um, Dr. Wa. Obviously, obviously, the per- parents would not want to carry the, the, the cost of investment that were made by the institution in the hope that they would uh, recoup from business done with parents and the business doesn't get done in full or the value proposition is not full and then they have to pay in full because of the commitment. And those are conversations that are held not necessarily about your institution, but about the whole delivery of education as a whole. But there's a big point out. Yes, and I, and I think, and I think, and, and the and and the parents who don't want to do that, that's also understandable. And so, you know, the management of those schools need to be going to the banks and rescheduling their payments and finding some other way, or as I said, drawing another financial buffer to pay for those, so then they can reduce their fees for that. Um, but you know, there's a, there's there's additional fees that have come. There's things that are gone, and you just have to do the balance of that and and give uh, families a fair price. When um, I come, when I come back from this break, I'm going to ask you one big question, and that is going to be about the report by the World Bank that says 
without effective remedial actions when students start returning to school this generation this generation of students stands to lose an estimated 10 trillion dollars in earnings over their lifetimes and i i I just heard a parent say ouch this is the prognosis of the world bank that without effective remedial action the collective impact of COVID 19 on education from the perspective of students is that this generation of students at all levels stands to lose an estimated 10 trillion dollars of earnings over their lifetimes what over their lifetime that is the issue i'd like you to speak to when i come back to you to round up let's see if we have a parent um, on the line at this point and let's find out the thoughts of one of our volunteer faculty chris diaba chris good evening hi good evening chris interesting conversation i know you are passionate about learning i mean you work as a head of learning in the organization but the issues we are conversing what will be your perspective especially as a parent very interesting conversation um couple of things come to mind first of all we will all have to agree that we have not experienced at least i have not experienced something like this before in my life and so we are walking this new path and almost trying to think and walk at the same time so we will need to have an open conversation around what works and it, it should not be one-sided and also be able to correctly learn from those mistakes we make to move on so that's directly with regards to the school parent conversation for me are, as you, a are, parent, you, are you paying are you paying chris and are you satisfied i am not paying with the current school uh, my children attend because it was a complete monologue, take it or leave it. And as a group of parents, we tried to engage on on how we could improve on that, and it didn't seem to work. And so what I did was to find a more viable option, which meant that my, my girls had to take classes with another school. So technically, if I understand you right, what you're saying, Chris, is that you exercised your right to walk out. Is that correct? Yes. We got a threat from the school that if you don't join online, you could lose admission. But by then, it was clear to me that um, we could get better learning opportunities with other places rather than this kind of monologue. 030-221-6541 is the number to call. Are you a parent? Are you also having to exercise your rights or have you kept quiet and taking the bait or taking the offer or taking the prescription or, or are you encountering a monologue or a dialogue or what was the, what was that what did, what did you call this? <laughs> what's the kind of conversation you're having around your child's education are you being engaged or you are being given a ticket or leave it prescription and how have you responded if you're a parent call into the show let's let's hear your perspective and um, I'm going to come back to you, Dr. Iwa, very shortly. That issue about the 10 trillion is something that is so, so huge. I mean, no matter what we do across the world, this particular batch of learners potentially stand the threat of being shortchanged in earnings over their lifetimes. And that is huge. 030-221-6541-0244-340-437. If you're a parent or if you're a, a, a stakeholder in the educational value chain, call into the show. Let's find out where you stand, what you think, what has been your experience, and what would what was your response to the offer made by your institution. Um, Patrick, while I, I get those calls coming on board, 10 trillion does that number does that number connect with you well well a trillion is a lot of money it's it's, it's a big number 10 trillion is an even bigger number um look all i can say is this there's it's very clear that covid 19 is is costing the world Patrick, let me let me, let me let me do what i don't like doing stopping the 
thoughts of an intellectual and philosopher. Forgive me. Uh, let me get a few parent perspectives and then we'll come back to you to, to take this. Okay. Hello, good evening. Good evening. Your name and where you calling from, please. My name is Nathaniel. from Do you say Nathaniel? Nanayao. Ah, Nanayao, tell me, are you in the value chain somewhere? Yes, I'm a, I have two kids in the same school. Um, one is six, the other one is 11. And I would have to pay for full fees for six weeks. And uh, the teaching is an online. Even the teachers are not abreast with the system or the software they are using for teaching. So virtually, we are, we are, we are stuck in there to, to assist the kids um, in class. Most of the time, the classes would have to eat into the night and would have to stay and help parents. And then school is not being reasonable in terms of charging the full fees for, for the two kids. Then, uh, so, uh, did, you, did you stay or did you leave? Um, for now, I'm holding on to having a discussion and see how best they can bring it down a little bit. Thank you very much. The number is called zero three zero two two one six five four one. Hello, good evening. Hello, good evening. Zero two four four three four zero four three seven. Hello, good evening. Yeah, please. I am. I'm not appearing, but um, Thompson Education had had this uh, online program for centuries, even before COVID. And I had discussed this with the Learning Through International School at Akomobuakwa. I would like I would like to keep this away from specific institutions. So let's jump okay, this. Sorry. Thank you very much. Sorry. 0302216541. I'll take one last caller and then I'm going to come back to the game changer segment. Hello, Grimi. Good evening. My name is Nish. I'm calling from Kwabenya. My name is Nisoa. Nisoa, go ahead. Yes, the main issue we are having is that it's not only a monologue, but it's also lack of training for the teachers who are handling the virtual training for our kids. So I think that the private schools can complain, but they also need to invest into their human capital because it is money that parents are paying. And we've all been hit by this kind of situation. But uh, the schools seem to think only about their loss of revenue. Forgetting that parents have also lost money in this COVID period. So I think that uh, if the private schools want to maximize revenue and also have parents continue to pay money, they need to invest into their human capital, train their teachers so that we can have value for money. That's the little that I can say on this issue. But I can confirm that there is indeed a monologue, especially with the private schools. If they take it and leave it, especially when you talk about the first class schools, the private sector, they think that they have the monopoly of the market. So either you leave your kids there or you mm-hmm. leave the opportunity given to them. Interesting responses. Take it or leave it. And the big word is monologue tonight. I'm going to come to Dr. Ewa to conclude uh, very shortly. But this is a discussion about education in the face of COVID-19 and the disruptions thereof. Let me give everyone the chance to cool down a little for a couple of minutes as we receive the Game Changer segment from Jojo Crane. Jojo, take it away. All right. So in an earlier Game Changer, I told you the story about how my brother Insha went from three totals to 21 because of just one piece of advice. And, you know, a few days later, I had already forgotten the sense of pride I felt in his accomplishment. Like any professional older brother, I was more concerned about his mental achievements. I asked him why it was taking so long to finish a short book I'd shared with him. Ordinarily, it would have taken about two days, but it had been almost a week. Now, Insha mentioned that he'd been distracted. Distracted by what, I wondered? Some video game, his phone, or just maybe he had a new crush? Today, our game changer is maximizing mentorship. You see, none of those were his mentorship. Practicing his juggling of the ball was. For the past five days, he had been practicing non-stop. Then he told me something that made my jaw drop. In that short time, he had already reached a hundred totals. For those counting at home, that's over 3,000% improvement. So I asked how he did it. 
If you are looking to get the best out of a mentorship relationship, Insura has three tips for you. Step one, practice. Tips and hacks are great, but nothing beats putting in the work. Step two, kill your mentor. Don't copy the advice verbatim. Adapt it and make it your own. Step three, share progress. Giving feedback encourages your mentor to invest even more in you. Steel magnet Andrew Carnegie was spot on when he said you can't push anyone up the ladder until they are willing to climb themselves. So this week, as our mentors play their role in pointing us to the right ladders, let's play our part and start climbing. This has been The Game Changer with Jojo Okren. Have a phenomenal week. The word is mentorship and I'm talking to one of the best mentors you can find in Patrick Iwa, president of Ashesi University. Jojo, thanks for those thoughts. Very, very interesting. We'll have a conversation after the show about the totals and about Man United and mentorship. Patrick, let's go to the subject of the future of these students. I'm sure if we stick with the school fees, we'll go all night about it, about the equity issues and so on. But let's go on to the net effect on this class of students. The World Bank predicts um, a significant um, loss spreading over their lifetime. I didn't get the be- the benefit of the methodology that arrived at this conclusion. But being a, an educationist and being on the UNESCO board for one of their interventions, can you wrap your mind ab- around how such a prognosis or how such a conclusion would be arrived at? Lifetime potential income loss of $10 trillion. Dr. Patrick Iwa. Well, I haven't seen the World Bank uh, report and how they made that assessment. But I just say that, look, we're all in this together. And it's not just the students who are in school now or they're supposed to be graduating now. It's all of us together. And I think that we deal with this together across generations. And, you know, this is not the first time the world has had a major crisis. I mean, if you think about the world wars, World War I, World War II, these were major dislocations. They lasted years. Um, and the generations that grew up at that time went on to do amazing things in the world. And we should move forward with the expectation that this generation will as well. So I prefer to sort of look at this as a challenge and to um, be optimistic that we're going to come out of this okay and, um, and that this generation is going to be just fine. Final question, Dr. Iwa. What has impressed you? What is the most interesting solution? What has impressed you the most in the responses you've seen throughout this pandemic? It needn't be an educational response, but just a minute. What has impressed you in this whole COVID-19 response? Well, a couple of things have been quite remarkable. I mean, the first, I would say that there's some countries whose response has been just, you know, outliers. It's just been exceptional. You know, Taiwan and Vietnam and the way they manage to keep the numbers very low and death rates extremely low has been very impressive. But I also think that the scientific community is moving at incredible speed and working on vaccines. Uh, for And there's, there's so many efforts underway um, uh, there are 10 vaccines that are um, undergoing, undergoing trials at quite advanced stage. And this has happened really quickly, fast, faster than we've seen before. Uh, and I wish them success. I hope that they come out with vaccines that are viable and safe quickly uh, so that we can all get back to normal. I want to say a big thank you to you, Dr. Patrick Ewell, for joining us. Anytime we get to have you on the show, it's always a revealing and a, learning, a great learning experience, and we look forward to doing this again, Patrick. It's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Warm regards to the entire family and the Ashesi fraternity. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right, so right after this, we'll cross over to Beyond the Lockdown with MFA Apao. And before that, let me remind you that this week it's a big thing on the on the core program because we are having our first core e-lead conference. And it's a special one for every lady. This one 
I checked the registration and so far 10 men have broken through the barrier to, to register. Please, the men, this one, it is not for you. I don't know how you manage to do it, but Charlie, it's a women's only conference on Wednesday from 10 a.m. till 12 noon. This Wednesday, today is Sunday the 6th, Monday the 7th, Tuesday the 8th, Wednesday. This Wednesday, we are having the, the theme blast the glass ceiling. Charlie, when I, I is you, Charlie, blast the glass ceiling. That's the, the, the theme for the conference. The speakers, Yolanda Cuba, joins us from. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S. based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. MTN all the way in South Africa. Yolanda is very well known in Ghana for the great work she did, but she's a group chief digital and fintech officer at MTN Group based in South Africa. Ohenere Giptianti, our friend and the co-ambassador, also gets to speak. She's the CEO of GDA Media Limited. We will have Mami Awenado Kangiri. She's an international trade consultant. We'll have Ifia Poku, also known as a Vim Lady, on the show. Then we'll have Kweba for music. Afro Soul Artist and the Nofosua Spoken Word Artist. It's on on Wednesday from 10 a.m. till 12 noon. This is big. And if you are